Welcome to Urban Principle, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com. And now here's your host, Brett Anderson. And welcome back to another podcast. We are on episode 117, 117, season three. And this one I'm calling Why Restorative Practices. And since I get out in buildings a lot, one of the uh, people I was just working with was a PAC facilitator, which is a positive action center, uh, if you're not familiar with what that is. And she is in a, a room. Uh, Tiffany Smith does an outstanding job with students. Uh, she's in a room at Howard Kennedy, and she was working with students, and she's actually in the imperative teacher program and is going to be a teacher, and she's going to be a good teacher. Uh, but we were talking about behavior, and I noticed some things on her wall, and since I do a lot of training with behavior, and do a lot of PBIS and MTSSB. I was asking her about what she had up. And she had on the board uh, things that she was doing while she was working with students. And the interesting thing about it is the things she was talking about uh, and telling me about are restorative practices. And it was interesting some of the things she was uh, telling me. She had on the board uh, numbers one through five as she's working with students. And the first one said, tell the truth. Uh, second one said, it's fine counting. Uh, third one said, walk away. The fourth one said, tell the teacher. And then it had an arrow and said, you won't get in trouble. So you can tell they had been doing some brainstorming. And then number five said, do some breathing. So those were all good strategies she was giving students. So she's teaching them a little bit about problem solving and uh, how to reframe things a little bit by the things that I saw on the board. Um, giving him some strategies, and uh, she there was also an area where it said bad, and you can get suspended, you can get expelled, uh, good, you can be rewarded, you can stay in school, uh, good things uh, can happen with your teacher, your parents, uh, you won't get in trouble with your teacher or your parents, uh, and things to work on, emotions and positivity. I mean, she's doing some really good things on with the students. And I asked her flat out, I said, when you get done and you've problem solved and you've done some things with the students and you even taught them some strategies and why they were sent to you in the first place, they go back to their classroom. I said, how do the teachers receive the students? And it was interesting. Her response was very interesting because she said, well, a lot of times they uh, will come back into the room. Some teachers receive them very well and they're you know, encouraging the students as they're coming back. They're excited to have them back in the classroom. She said others are giving them warnings about the behavior and don't do it again and do it. And I was like, oh, bad news. Because if you start to make threats the minute they come back, you're escalating the situation and you're turning it into uh, the bringing back up those emotions and it turns into a uh, an escalated situation and a power struggle again and not a good a good relationship with that student and that teacher. But she said most of the time she tries to... Uh, increase the relationships between that student and the teacher and that is the restorative practices maintaining that relationship and relationships are so important uh, in schools and I want to read to you uh, something here from from behaving to belonging it's a book uh, uh, this was a ASCD book uh, the inclusive art of supporting students who challenge us from Julie Costin and Kate McLeod and they were talking about just some of the typical things that teachers will say and schools will say. And one of the things they said, uh, deficit-based thinking, we assume that kids only display the challenging behavior because it gets them something, attention, etc. And she's, they say the truth, all students would display the expected behavior if they knew how to get attention in appropriate and expected ways. 
the student exhibiting the challenging behavior simply doesn't have the skills, tools, or knowledge about how to display the appropriate behavior yet. And that's why in uh, PBIS, of course, positive behavior supports, you're doing uh, teaching ex what you expect. Uh, and like I always say in training, don't expect students to know what they don't know. I hear that. I've heard that from uh, Eric Jensen. I've heard that from Ruby Payne. But don't expect the students to know what they don't know. You have to teach them. Teach them everything you want them to know to be able to survive in that classroom and to survive in that school. That is extremely important. And recently, I just saw on the news, uh, uh, let's see, it's they said 21% of kids uh, have behavior and conduct disorders and anxiety and so on. And then on, uh, what else did I see? On From the Disease Control and Prevention, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they said, uh, this was in 2021, 44% of students reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless, 44%. So they need those connections to school. And if you're doing restorative practices, you're going to make sure they're connecting to school and you're developing those relationships. And they also said 66% uh, is more difficult, say it's more difficult to complete their schoolwork. That's what the students were saying. And then recently in our local newspaper, there was a huge article about behavior in one of our largest school districts, and I won't go into details, but uh, some of the things that, one of the things that came out and jumped out at me actually was one of the teachers said going back to normal was like going, uh, was like going back to normal with high expectations or with the normal expectations that they had before the pandemic and she said, which is a, like a wild thing to do because they were coming back without any preparation and without being ready to do anything differently with students that are having these uh, feelings of uh, inadequacy and anxiety and emotional distress. And remember, uh, in trauma-informed teaching, that would tell us right now that a lot of the students, actually all students coming back, have uh, issues from the pandemic and some more than others. And I would challenge that even more to say that students in high poverty buildings uh, are even coming back with more than they had before uh, in, in terms of uh, less to work with and more emotional anxiety and uh, mental difficulties that are going to make it harder for them to survive in school. Uh, taken from the book uh, Hacking School Discipline, uh, Nine Ways to Create a Culture of Empathy and Responsibility Using Restorative Justice by Nathan Maynard and Brad uh, Weinstein. It's a good book. Uh, I'm going to read a couple things from it. Uh, not a lot, but I want to set the stage because I think we're going to spend, uh, we're going to do this in a probably a series because I have a lot of information. There's a lot I want to talk about with restorative practices. And uh, I don't think we're going to be able to do it in one night, that's for sure, because I'm barely done the intro and we're already seven minutes in. Uh, so let me give you a a bit of what they start uh, talking about in their book. Their introduction, they say, why do we need restorative justice in schools? Or basically restorative practices. Uh, it says, according to the civil rights data collection of, of 49 million students enrolled in public schools in 2011-2012, 3.5 million were suspended in school, 
million were suspended out of school and 130,000 were expelled. And that number's probably changed now since that uh, is a little bit older. Uh, another concerning fact from this source is that black students are suspended and expelled three times as often as white students, and students with disabilities are suspended twice as often as their non-disabled peers. Zero-tolerance policies, which deliver harsh predetermined punishments are a root cause of many suspensions and expulsions in schools today, often affecting minority students the most. And uh, I would say that's higher in higher poverty buildings as well. And they don't have the tools and a lot of the staff doesn't have the tools. And because they don't, their only action is uh, push out or to put the kids out on suspension or away from school and I've always said, and I challenged a principal with that recently, and I said, you know, you send students out when they come back, uh, how are you making sure that they're ready to uh, get back into a re routine? I'm not against suspension. You have to do that at times, and sometimes you have to start that way till you get a lot of other strategies and tools in place. But when they return, what is being done to ensure that that student is able to still learn, and better than that, uh, what is being done to make sure that there's still a relationship with the teacher or teachers that student works with and even the principal so that they can actually be successful at school. Because if those things are not in place, that student is still going to have uh, difficulty for sure. Uh, they go on to talk about, let me jump to one of the pieces here. Uh, Restorative practice is an emerging social science that studies how we can strengthen relationships between individuals as well as social connections with, within communities. According to the International Institute of Restorative Practices, IIRP, all humans are hardwired to connect. Just as we need food, shelter, and clothing, human beings also need strong and meaningful relationships to thrive. IIRP also says the use of restorative practices helps to reduce crime and violence and bullying, improve human behavior, strengthen civil society, provide effective leadership, restore relationships, and repair harm. Uh, and doesn't everybody want that in their school? You want those uh, things happening and those positive things and the ability to repair and get back on track successfully. Uh, another book, Better Than Carrots or Sticks, Restorative Practices for Positive Classroom Management, and this is by Dominique Smith, Douglas Fisher, everybody knows, and Nancy Frey, another common name uh, in the research circles. And let me jump to some of the things that they're saying. Uh, effective classroom management. Uh, let's see. Classroom management is confusing and misleading, many be mainly because it has no clear and widely agreed upon definition. For some, it refers to the general control of students. For others, it refers to discipline procedures. For others, still, it refers to both routines and procedures. Uh, and then they go on to say that, uh, let's see, Cassetta and Sawyer, 2013, define classroom management as being about building relationships with students and teaching social skills along with academic skills. And... Uh, you know, I've been doing positive behavior supports, intervention supports for over 20 years and did it for over 20 years as a principal and is very successful. And I was able to turn a building around with it and we even got a safe school award. And the thing is, we had that pyramid of supports for the tier one, tier two and tier three. And we always had a pyramid of supports also 
for academics. And when you think about it, you also have that for uh, social skills and for the effective uh, restorative practices, uh, which is helping students succeed. It all kind of fits together. It's all a piece of that puzzle. They go on to say there are two aspects of an effective learning environment and by extension, successful classroom management, relationships, uh, and high-quality instruction. And that's true. If you have good relationships and high-quality instruction, think of your, if you're a principal, think of your really outstanding teachers. What do they have in common? They have in common, they have high expectations, but they also probably have high uh, relationship skills, and they're using those with their students. And those relationship skills, in turn, help them to get the most out of those students and to increase their academic achievement and to bring out the best and even their worst students. So they're able to do that in school. Uh, let's see, jump up ahead to a few other things they say. Uh, students are going to misbehave as they learn and grow. It's how we respond to their misbehavior that matters. We believe that students should have a chance to learn from their mistakes and to restore any damaged relationships with other others. Our view as our view is known as the restorative approach to discipline. And remember, discipline is teaching. The definition of discipline is teaching. Uh, I've used that a lot in my training, and people need to know that that's the correct uh, definition is that you are teaching and reteaching. And they did a good job with a graph showing traditional uh, approaches, the old traditional approaches, which is your philosophy, and using a restorative approach to discipline. And uh, two pieces I want to highlight before we wrap up tonight, and that is accountability is defined as understanding the effects of the offense and repairing any harm. The offender, victim, and school all have direct roles in the justice process. Offenders are held responsible for their behavior, repairing any harm they've caused, and working toward a positive outcome. And opportunities are offered for offenders to express remorse or make amends. And that's where I think we're going to end tonight. And as I did positive behavior supports in some uh, extremely rough schools as well, uh, some of the things that we incorporated, it was incorporated into our positive behavior supports. So it's not like uh, you're going to always um, be on the side of always being able to work it out. And But if you can't, and as I said earlier, and you do have to expel or do anything that uh, puts the student out, you still have to work on some of those restorative practices as they return to help to make them successful. So as we wrap up tonight, I want to end with a quote, of course. And our quote tonight is, one of the tests of leadership is to recognize a problem before it becomes an emergency. And that's Andrew Glasgow. So we need to start thinking about proactive, how we can be proactive in working with our students and like I said, this is going to be a series, and I don't know how many parts yet because I have a lot to talk about, and I want to continue it until we get through some of it. And I want to give you as much information as I can and be as helpful as I can. So until next time, keep promoting effective leadership through productive culture changes. And until next time, let's remember to stay positive. Listening to Urban Principle. Leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAnderson